Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda Hernandez Jaimes, and this is Ellas. Hola, as you all know, I'm starting the episodes in a different way. After all, we're living in different times, and changes need to be made. We find ourselves in a world where many mujeres have been left without their jobs. According to the Labor Department, more than 700,000 jobs were eliminated in the first wave of the pandemic layoffs last month. Nearly 60% of those jobs were held by women. And as I record this on April 15th, we know that millions of people across the country and the world have been laid off. AS has always been here to inspire, motivate, and empower you to not quit on your professional dreams. But what happens when the world forces you to not work in your dream job? Due to the current state of the world, I want to further the mission of AS and provide valuable tips that you can apply right now if you recently lost your job due to the pandemic or know a fellow amiga or sister, or hermana, that recently lost their job. So before we begin with today's interview, I want to share the four most important paperwork you need to focus on as soon as possible if you lost your job. This is crucial. So let's begin. Number one. Review your files and start making notes. This is something we should always do. But if you don't know, I'd like to remind you that it's always important to keep track of the achievements you've accomplished and of the duties that you were responsible for. Now, this is something that is always helpful. Let's say that you need to share your wins during a meeting or it helps you for a salary raise change your job title, or even update your LinkedIn or your resume when the time comes for you to seek a new job. Obviously, you'll need to respect any terms of your employment about intellectual property and data, but it's important to take notes about the work you've done. This will ultimately help you while you update your resume and help you in your job search. Number two, file for unemployment benefits. Do it now. Like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, millions of people in the country have been laid off. It can take a few days before your benefits kick in and systems may be down. We know that right now, everything is taking more time than normal. For example, many states are staggering filing days based on your last name. The upside of all of this, if we're looking at the positive, is the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, aka the CARES Act, which is the stimulus package. And the good thing, it has widened unemployment eligibility, and it now includes people who work at nonprofits, freelancers, performing artists, gig workers, and people who've had contracts canceled. Number three, severance agreement. 
Now, this paperwork applies only if your employer has contractually agreed to pay severance. And if so, they must honor that promise. If you have a severance agreement, then you should look into it as soon as possible and see how much continuation of pay, severance, or benefits you're being offered. You also have to check if it provides outplacement services to help with your job search or any terms you have to agree in order to receive them. Number four, health insurance. It's really important to review your health insurance options, and I'll be sharing a couple of them with you. The first one is private insurance. If money isn't an obstacle, then you can pay out of pocket. Second option is if you're married or you're 26 or younger, you can join your spouse's health insurance or your parents if they have it. The third option is COBRA. The Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act allows you to keep your employee health plan for some time. Now, the downside is that it's temporary and you have to pay the entire premium, including the part your employer used to pay. Another health insurance is Obamacare, which is a federally administrated health insurance that you can apply to. And last but not least is Medicaid. If eligible, this health coverage is a free or low-cost option for those who meet the income criteria, pregnant women, people with disabilities, families, and children. I hope you found these four important paperwork valuable. If you recently lost your job or know a fellow amiga, hermana, prima who recently lost their jobs, I encourage you to share this episode so they can be aware of the four important paperwork they need to focus on. And in the upcoming episodes, I'll be providing more tips for you to implement during the COVID-19 pandemic. Remember that we're all going through this. Others might have it worse than you. So please remember to be empathetic and kind and help in any way that you can. Strengthen your friendships by being there for your loved ones and friends. And before we begin today's interview, I also want to remind you to enter the giveaway. Leave a review on Apple Podcast, submit it, and screenshot it. Once you've submitted your review, email your screenshot review to asthepodcast at gmail.com. That's E-L-L-A-S, the podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to include your name. I'll be announcing the winner on April 25th. One lucky winner will receive a review goodie bag filled with an Amada crossbody clutch from Emiluna, a copy of Own Your Brilliance by Michelle Gomez, a cabrona y bonita keychain from Claudia Ramos, and a beautiful photography print from Cher Martinez. We have two new reviews from Monster Flower. It says, couldn't be more in love with the act of change Brenda brings on. Thank you for your hard work and fun podcast. And from Cheek Chemistry. What an incredible podcast. The conversations that Brenda directs are so organic and bring out such beautiful dialogue with each of these incredible mujeres. Thank you so much. Your words mean a lot. And yes, knowing that you enjoy these episodes and these conversations with these amazing mujeres just fills up my heart and really motivates me to continue on, especially during these dark times. These conversations and your feedback of the podcast is really the fuel that drives me to continue to do a yes and to not give up on the important work that 
we're cultivating right now to inspire and motivate you and the future generation that is coming to not quit on their professional dreams, especially in moments like this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Now let's start with a conversation I had with the amazing and all-around badass Gloria Diaz, who is a proud Latina figure in the STEM industry. Comenzamos. to Ellas. For the 30th episode of the podcast, we're kicking it off with a very important topic, Latinas in STEM. And what better way than to have Gloria Diaz, a PhD candidate at the University of Michigan, as today's guest. Her work focuses on developing microfluidic platforms to simplify and automate micro-scale assays for profiling epigenic modifications. She is originally from San Diego, California, and received her Bachelor of Science from California State University, San Marcos, where she focused on organic chemistry research. After graduating from CSUSM, she worked at Zymo Research Corporation in Irvine, where she pivoted her research, Epigenic Essay Development. Did you know only 3% of Latina women are represented in STEM, while women in total make up 24% of the STEM workforce? Because of this, Gloria wants to change the stats and help increase visibility of women of color. As a Latina in science, she wants to share her experience overcoming the social expectations of what a Latina woman should be, as well as the stigma of how a scientist is perceived. Gloria's go-to platform where she's a collaborator for is Every Point One Matters, where the motto is, we imagine a world where every little girl and woman of color can pursue her wildest dreams and change the world through STEM. Please welcome Gloria Diaz. Hola, Gloria. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to be on here. Um, I love Vegas. I think it's one of my go-to platforms or podcasts when I am doing lab work. So it's really good to just hear all these incredible women on here. Oh, thank you. That that means a lot. I never imagined my. I can. I don't know. Me doing this podcast. I really can't imagine what the listeners are doing while they listen to the podcast <laughs> but that's oh I see I I mean that made my day I think that made not my whole week because just <laughs> imagining that you know these conversations connect and like are with you while you work in your lab research mm-hmm. yeah that warmed my heart yeah. thank you Gloria as a listener you you know how I love to start a yes and I want you to share with us how can you describe who Gloria is Yeah, so I guess if I can think about, like, my main, like, go-to adjectives, keywords, phrases, I definitely am a Latina in STEM, and STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Um, As you mentioned in my bio, I'm from San Diego, California, and I pursued a chemistry degree at Cal State San Marcos, and then from there, I did a year at a biotech company called Zyma Research, where I really pivoted from doing organic chemistry research to epigenetics, which is a completely, like, different area. So I went in it without any um, prior knowledge, and then I decided to pursue my Ph.D. in chemistry with a biochemical uh, emphasis in that. Outside of Mm -hmm. STEM, I guess, 
I definitely would say I'm a runner. My goal is to run a half marathon every year of my PhD. Granted, I've only, mm-hmm. I started my second year. So this year, my goal is probably to do the Chicago half marathon. And it's the first one in Chicago, which will hopefully still happen in June. Yes. Hopefully. Let's cross our fingers. Social distancing will work. So, yes. <laughs> if not, there's another one in Michigan that I was my first one. And so I'll just do it again. But the idea is to just stay active as I'm doing this PhD. Outside of that, my favorite color is probably pink. (laughs) What else? Just some random facts about me that I can throw out there. I love that. I like to read books. I love to hang out with my friends. I definitely am someone that holds my friends really close. I value them so much. So even though I live in Michigan now, I am consistently in contact with all my friends in California, up and down the coast, just checking in on them, especially through these stressful times. I like to just be there and make sure everyone's okay. And as the scientist of my friends, I try to take all of these sources and kind of filter down to what I find liable and always like depict it onto them, as well as depict it onto my family because I still have a lot of family in Mexico and my parents who are in San Diego so I kind of just want to make sure that I'm passing along all of this reliable information to them so I'm, recently I'm finding myself as this bridge between yeah. like what is relevant and my family so that they can stay safe no I be, but I think that is such a great thing that you're doing right now because like it or not a lot of misinformation is going on at the moment mm-hmm. and a lot of panic is going along like around and you don't know or many people who let's say you're in STEM you're a scientist um I have a communication background like we are able to like see what is truth and what is not real right but for other people they just take the headline and they're like okay they just run with it so that's a great responsibility that you're doing and being that bridge of knowledge and of information and communication so thank you yeah one of the things that i've re- recently been doing is kind of just scoping out a lot of reliable information in spanish so like spanish graphics that right now one of my main resources is uh this professor from one of the universities in Alabama, her Instagram handle is chic in academia and she is an epidemiologist so that right away is like i'm gonna go to her She's going to be one of my first resources that I go to. And she also has a Hispanic background, so she translates a lot of the stuff into Spanish. And then from there, I distribute it to everyone that I possibly can. So, Wow. It, it can be – I think sometimes it's stressful mm-hmm. because, like, I part of me wants to, like, turn off all of the media. But another part of me is like, okay, well, I don't want to miss anything. But you learn to filter through it, especially to stay calm. Can you share – maybe some tips on how to filter through it because I myself obviously want to pause and just pull myself away from what's happening while I'm at home. But I know that in a way that I feel guilty because that's irresponsible, but self-care again. (laughs) Yes. No, I feel you. Like one of the recent topics that like when you're going through moments like this, we kind of want to just feed ourselves with information so that we are aware of what's going on. But we also have to like step into that like middle area of like what is too much information and then what is enough so that we stay informed but aren't kind of spiraling into this pit of like, oh my God, is this ever going to get better? I think, as I mentioned, epidemiologists are probably your first resource to 
go to because they are versed so well in this topic. Mm -hmm. So I think another one of my resources that's really good on social media right now, her handle is at Science Sam. She's based in Canada, but she is on top of everything that like the World Health Organization says, the CDC, and she translates it in a way that a lot of normal people can understand and then from there anyone that she names I tend to follow and kind of stay focused on for my information so another good person is Dr. Trevor Bedford he's a really good person to go to I think you always want to I would say just who so the world world health organization and the CDC they're very good sources something else that I read recently was if you're like, obsessed with what's going on in the world right now, try to just do, like, 10 to 20 minutes of research in your day, in the morning, and then maybe check in in the evening, and then from there, like, move on with your day. You don't want to consistently be checking every hour because that's going to weigh a lot on you. Yes. So that's kind of how I would filter it, and that's how I am filtering it, actually. Um, And then I try to translate it over to a Spanish version that's, like, understandable for my families so it's not like too many details and they get lost in it no perfect yeah and i think from i'm i'm gonna get a lot of political here but you know not really i don't know many countries are acting are are behind we know we obviously are very behind from what is occurring in italy and mexico is also behind the u.s and italy so as of now, as of March 21st that we're recording this, you know, Mexico isn't fully quarantined. So I totally understand the feelings that you're going through because I also have my family down there and it's scary. So uh, like you, I'm also informing them of what's going on, just telling them to take their precautions because they're days behind and I know that once it gets worse, it's going to get yeah, it's going to get bad. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like to, whenever I, like, inform my family, I like to trickle in, like, little bits of, like, information, which is also what, like, my loved ones do to me because I, I'm constantly, like, being informed with stuff. And then I'm like, oh, my God, when is it going to get better? And then they tell me, like, good things. So, like, uh, on Monday I told them, like, oh, my gosh, the NIH started, like, their first clinical trials for a vaccine. Be aware, though. The first clinical trials are probably going to end until June, but this is, like, good news to, like, look up to. Um, They have found the antibody for the actual virus itself. Um, They're looking at using, like, a blood treatment from people that have survived it to help treat current cases. So kind of just trying to sprinkle in those, like, little notions of, like, it's getting better. It's getting better. (laughs) Yes. No, and I'm I'm actually happy that you're sharing this information with us because... We're seeing, like, a lot of bad things that's happening, but those type of things are, like, getting lost, you know, and, like, the waves of, of like, information that we're getting. But just, and I'm talking to um, you who are listening right now, I will be focusing on this topic, but I also want to know you because just this is happening, this is part of your industry, and something... It affects everyone, but I imagine that as someone who is passionate about STEM, topics like this is always surrounding your daily life. So I really want to get into the core of 
you discovering your love for STEM and deciding to pursue this industry? When did that happen? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so, like, peak of, like, when did it happen? It was probably when I was, like, really young. I'm going to say, like, elementary school. Like, I remember I just, like, loved to look at stars. Like, I asked my mom for those, like, little glow-in-the-dark, like, stars that people would put on their ceilings. Because I was like, Mom, I want to look at stars. And then from there, like, when you're in elementary school, you start looking at, like, physical science. And then you go into middle school and you have, like, biological, physical. And you start looking at the sub-areas. And I remember just, like, that was one of my favorite classes to go to. It's, it's like, I think about it and I'm like, wow. And I don't want to say it came easy to me, but it was definitely something that I liked to sit and pay attention to. And so we would have these like exercises that were like, you know, write out what you know about this topic and I would go to town on it. And so then into high school, I took honors bio and I took AP Chem and AP Chem was, like, actually really hard. Like, I remember at one point I had a teacher that was like, do you really think you should be in here? And I was like, that kind of hurt a little bit. But I I let it go. I pursued it. I stayed in the class. And the thing is, this teacher was, like, a substitute teacher because my actual chemistry teacher was on maternity leave. And when she came back, I was able to pick it up where, like, the way she just taught. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's kind of, like, a demonstration of, like, that's why we need more women in STEM. Like, when she came, I could really, like, vibe off of, like, seeing a woman up in front of me teaching me chemistry. And then from there, I kind of just, like, took off and did so much better in that class. And from there, I decided to major in chemistry. Because, I like, when I applied to college, I thought about it, and I was like, what do I want to major in? Like, what? I, I don't know. Like, English, history, math. I was, I liked math, but, like, I think without a doubt, my thought was just like, oh, chemistry, duh. (laughs) Like, that's something I enjoy. Um, And then in undergrad, you go through, obviously, the phase where you're just doing your general chemistry courses. Mm -hmm. Um, And I even went through a phase there that I was like, "Eh, is this really for me? Like, should I really be pursuing it? Because I think, like, a big struggle with, like, college is, like, struggling to get into the classes that you need. And so I constantly was finding myself like, oh, my God, I didn't get into this class. But once I did get in and I started to really meet the faculty, um, I met my mentor, who to this day is still my mentor. His name is Dr. I at Cal State San Marcos. And it was challenging first, I'm not going to lie. Like, But I think after I met him, he kind of really helped me to believe in myself. And from there, he's just been motivating me this entire way. Even now as a graduate student, he's consistently like, sending me opportunities like I think you'd be a great fit for this or when I tell him I want to apply to this he's still there to like edit my application Mm -hmm. so I think the moment that I found a really good mentor was a moment that I was like I feel better about this this is the path that I want to take and even like as a graduate student I there are still moments where I struggle with it because I'm like oh my god one more day of like this failed experiment so yeah no even nowadays I still struggle with being motivated at times because Research is a lot of failure. Like something one of the recent mm-hmm. professors told me was research is about failure and then looking at those glimpses of hope. So it's a lot of like self-motivation and kind of pushing yourself through any failed experiments, data that's not working your way. But in light of everything that's happening, I've kind of rediscovered how much I enjoy STEM, science, all the fields that work together because it's brought together all these different disciplines to find a solution it's kind of like watching science in real time for me like what are we learning today what have they discovered today 
And even though, like, my lab isn't one of the labs that is participating in the ongoing epidemic, or, sorry, mm-hmm. pandemic, not epidemic, they're different, I know that there are many universities, many universities and then research labs at U of M that are partaking in this. And so, to me, it's like, wow, this is like, it, to me, it's kind of like, okay, so where are we at with our modern medicine? How are we going to tackle this? It's still a lot to take in, but, like, there's this underlying part of me that's, like, it's so beautiful to just see how scientists are, like, working together and how we're the superheroes right now. Yeah. No, and that's definitely right now what's going on. It definitely demonstrated to everybody that scientists, people in the healthcare, nurses, doctors, Mm -hmm. and obviously people working in grocery stores, they are the heroes right now. Yes. I can totally understand that passion, that excitement that you're feeling, seeing medicine and science growing and working together to find a vaccine, a cure, and improving and just being able to combat this the coronavirus. So I, I can definitely understand your passion. And you said something that really, like, you know, I, I loved research is about failing and that I feel like life is also about that like failing constantly and just knowing next time what not to do or because you made a mistake you learn to um you know make another choice and see how you know the result from that so I I find that really beautiful and like that connects and while you were you know I want to talk, um, you going back and working at Zymo in Irvine, you said before in the interview that you met, she was your boss at the time. Yes. Yeah. And she kind of changed the path that you have taken, that you took originally and then are currently in. So can you change, sorry. Um, I just feel that the mentors and the people that are in our life are important because they help us see where we need to be. Yes. And definitely. you mentioned, you know, your chemistry teacher in high school, your mentor in college, and her in Zymo. Can you talk about that experience and you deciding to do your PhD later on? Yeah, definitely. So after I finished undergrad, I went to work at Zymo Research and I worked scientist. Her name is Dr. Elaine Beckett, who actually is now a professor at Cal State San Marcos. So she made the jump from industry to academia. And I am just like so indebted to her. Like, <laughs> I think it, there's just so much emotion there for me because so many times she reminds me like, you are the reason that I went back to academia because I want to teach more students like you. And it's just like, whew, all the emotions. Aww. But yeah, no, when I started working for her, there, like I did not see PhD or graduate school at all. I saw maybe I would go back to like a master's. I would work for a couple of years and I would pursue a master's. Masters are incredible. I'm not downplaying it anywhere possible. <laughs> they are incredible resources. But I I had gotten a notice for a preview weekend program through the University of Michigan um, at the Ann Arbor campus. And I didn't know anything about U of M or how big it is or how incredible their sports are or like anything about it. And I think a lot of people on the West Coast don't really know a lot about the University of Michigan because we're so disciplined to look up to the UC system, which, again, the UC system is fantastic. Um, I, however, am a big advocate for pushing your network past the West Coast 
And so if you think of the University of Michigan, it's the equivalent to UCLA. So they stand at the same level. But I had gotten a notice about a preview weekend, which is essentially you apply and like 10 students get in and they fly you out to see the campus, to meet the faculty, meet the graduate students. It's a way to really diversify these campuses and these programs. So I got in and actually the university also flew out both of my mentors. So Dr. I from undergrad and Dr. Elaine Beckett from Zymo Research, they had coined them my science parents because they did a lot of the scouting for me and they showed me the ropes of like, how, what do you look for in a program? What type of research do you see yourself in? How to pick a lab, how to pick a program. And so after I got into that and they came with me, we flew back to California. She told me, you should really consider PhD programs, not just you of them. You should consider so many more schools because I think you would be a great scientist one day and I really want you to think about it. And I remember like a couple of days after we were in a meeting with the CEO of the company and the way she just like handled herself and she talked about the research and the projects that we were doing. I think that was a moment where I was like, I'm going to pursue a PhD. And I went and bought a GRE like right after that because I was getting ready to take the GRE to go to graduate school. And so after I got in, she kind of just like prepped me in every way possible. Like these are the resources. These are the websites that you go to. You could go these directions with your research, like what to really consider. So, um, and even to this day, she still guides me. Whenever I go home, I make sure to see both of my mentors because to me, it's very fulfilling to just nourish those ties because I'm just so grateful for giving me that knowledge. As a first-generation student, like I had no clue what graduate school was. I had no clue what a PhD entailed. And so they've just been there the whole way. I remember one time I texted her about how anxious I was about purchasing materials for a project. And she said, this is imposter syndrome. This is how you overcome it. So it's a lot of like all these feelings that I feel, I know that I can go to them and they're going to help me overcome them. Oh, that's, I love that you were sharing this with us and seeing the, saying that they're your science parents. I just love that. And you, yeah, you said something as a first generation, we are always the first to learn how everything is supposed to be like, or like how to go to a PhD or how to apply to college. And it's one way that maybe our parents are supportive of us and, but they're unaware sometimes of the obstacles that we face, right? Okay. And finding these mentors, these science parents that you had okay. that are able to help you choose the path and choose the correct school and the PhD and remind you that you need to forget about the imposter syndrome is important. Okay. So I want to focus on mentors. Like, how does one... I, I know unconsciously maybe you found these mentors, right? But... For someone who is in the STEM, who's, uh, you know, in college or doing their master's or their PhD, and they're really, or in high school, and they're trying to find that mentor that can help them, you know, grow further, how can they find one in their area? Definitely. So prior to me identifying these two individuals, and I will say they're they're not the only ones. They're definitely yes. those the other mentors that um, have helped me. And I think before I found both of these individuals, the things that I were doing included going to office hours. 
always talking to them. I think kind of sharing with them your goals, like, I want to pursue this. What do you think? What do I have to do? Mm -hmm. Asking for their advice. So them giving advice and giving guidance and mentorship, again, that's already a mentor right there. It doesn't have to be to such a degree that they're Mm -hmm. giving you opportunities and everything like that. Someone that's just willing to help you, right? For office hours, I had a physics professor who would say, like, if you are confused about anything, if you're confused about what classes to take, come talk to me at office hours. I want to talk to him. And that same day that I went to talk to him, he then introduced me to the instrument admin for the chemistry department, which then led to a stockroom job, which then led to my advisor kind of recognizing me because he saw, like, oh, she works in the stockroom. And then I took a class with him, so then right away he was able to, like, pinpoint me as someone else. So it's kind of just getting yourself out there and talking to as many professors because they've been through it. They've they know the challenges and just asking for their guidance and advice on like, what courses should I take? If I want to be pre-med, what, what do you suggest? If I'm looking to go to the East coast, Oh, you're from there. Like how, what school should I be looking at? I think just being as open with the faculty, the staff, the professors, just talking to them, you know, when you see them in the hall and like you have them for a lecture, just saying good morning or saying hi getting yourself to be recognized by them kind of goes a long way. So that's kind of what I would say where you can start. Um, There's also a good amount of programs that you can look into. So I know Athena is one of the San Diego programs. Latinas in Tech is another one. Latinas in STEM. These are all programs that are geared to help you find mentorship and resources for advancing in STEM. I think at a lot of colleges, there's their own, um, like, organizations like SACNAS. That stands for Society for Advancement of Chicanos and Native Americans in Science. SHIP, if you're an engineer, so that's Society for Hispanic Professionals in Engineering. Yeah, there's, like, so many organizations out there. I bet if you were to Google some within just, like, your particular region, you would find something. I think if... You are at like an R1 institution, so that means R1 stands for a very heavily research-based institution. You can always ask a professor to join their lab and be an undergraduate in there. And then the graduate students will be your mentors to help you, uh, introduce you to what research actually is. Oh, perfect. You know, right now you gave us so many valuable tips, not only for Latinas in STEM, but I feel for many women that are, you know, going through their own professional careers in like different industries right there like it's just it's all about stepping out of your shell and just talking to people and not being afraid to share your doubts your questions because that can help you open up many doors and just take out a lot of things that you're confused about and just make the right decision for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no I definitely agree and in addition to that I want to like share like there's this incredible like science community on social media if you look at her STEM story, which is another podcast that focuses on women in STEM, the STEM squad, the side community, there's so many incredible resources out there. And I mean, it, you can email or not email, you can DM any of the people from there and they're totally willing to like connect you with someone that can help you with your questions or resources. And I forgot to mention the, one of the most important resources, every point one matters. Yes. Yes, every point one matters, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. But I just love 
that because I think our generation is so lucky and fortunate to have much more. It's so much easier for us to connect. Mm-hmm. And well, I feel, <laughs> yeah, we live in an incredible time. You know, three percent of Latino women are in STEM. You know, and with the advance of technology and where we're living at, I feel this percentage can grow even more in the coming years. And you yourself are another person that, you know, is building that representation. So I want to ask you, how does it feel like being part of an industry where there's only 3% of Latinas and you're one of them and you inspiring, you know, younger women to follow into that path because it's important to have Latinas in STEM. So how does it feel like? Yeah, so I think at first when I was in California, because California is very diverse, Mm -hmm. I wasn't as open to it. I was kind of just like, oh, like I, my class had so many Latinas and Hispanic women in there that I was like, okay, we're all here. Like, this is good. And then I came out to Michigan and I could see it. I could feel it. And I noticed how different I looked compared to my incoming class. And I think in a way that just like woke me up and was like, oh my gosh, no, it's there. Like I need, I need to be an advocate for this. I need to, you know, stay in and I need to finish. Like I need to be a scientist and I, it's, it's like, I don't know. Like I feel very prideful and like honored, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I'm almost there. I need to keep working and like, I got this. (laughs) So I like, I, I'm genuinely happy about it because I think it's helped me find so many more resources and, like, other people that also feel the same way. I don't know. I guess, like, I'm kind of speechless at it sometimes and just like, wow, I can't believe it's still there, but it is. I feel like it, I could have elaborated a lot more, but no. it's a lot more of a feeling. It's, yes, and I understand that feeling, and I feel like all our listeners will connect mm-hmm. to that feeling and that yes, moment of being speechless at the same time of, like, the responsibility and also mm-hmm. the pride that it mm-hmm. is being part of that industry. And because there's unfortunately so little Latinas in STEM, and you know, you mentioned about how your science parents motivate you, you know, but how do you motivate, how do you find motivation in those moments? Because I know PhD research is many years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it can be longer, but Michigan is really good about getting this out in like five to five and a half years. And are you in what year specifically right now? I'm in my third. Your third. So I'm halfway through. So you you've been like going through a lot, right? How do you find how do you find people, women, other Latinas, right now in Michigan or outside that just give you that moment of encouragement, motivation to not and I don't I don't think from what we're talking I don't feel like you're that person to quit but there's moments of course that where you're just tired and then you just want like I just want to get through this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely so in my class um in my cohort that came in at the same time there's one other girl and she's also from San Diego so we find a lot of comfort in each other um I think like if we had met in California we wouldn't be friends but like here we're like tied we yeah. get each other's like struggles. We go to the, we go to um, the Mexican store and we like get our stuff. We go eat the locos. We go eat esquites. Like 
we do it all together. <laughs> um, I think outside of that, though, we also have SACNAS. We also have um, AWIS, which stands for Association of Women in STEM, um, and that's helped me a lot. I also participate in SHIP outreach events a lot because um, my research field kind of interlaps with engineering sometimes. So I've met people through that. But as I mentioned, like this science community online, I mean, I, I've just been able to talk to people and FaceTime with them about a lot of stuff and like, what can we do? And like, we have a group chat that we can just like lean on and just be like, help, I need a pep talk right now. <laughs> or there's another student that I rotated in a lab. So she's from Puerto Rico, and she's actually a year above me. So I lean on her a lot because she tells me, like, okay, well, this is how I got through it. Here's how you can get through it. I can edit this for you. I've been through it. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it's, like, I'm going to stop, but it's, like, okay, we're coming on. Because, like, you, you, you realize how much, like, it takes a community to just grow together. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you. I think if I were to handle this by myself, oh, gosh, mm. <laughs> that would be very hard. And I feel like for it's it would be pointless in life to just go through what you're anything is whatever you're going through alone you know mm-hmm. sometimes people have to get off that high horse and just like we said before earlier just connect share your questions your doubts and your troubles with someone else because you don't know maybe they also went through the same thing and they can help you out yeah i think you definitely have to shed that veil of like oh she's a latina in stem but like you can't feel that jealousy like mm-hmm. that's your imana right there that's who you need to like lean on because she's going through the same struggles as you like she's far away from her family too like there's no competition it's about like rising together yeah so you really have to shed that like i need help yes oh. yeah and I, feel, and I feel like from what i'm seeing now our generation is very focused on that instead of pulling your pulling everyone down we're connecting and encouraging one another to grow because like it's so true when 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 when, one grows everyone grows right and i know there i feel like in stem there's a very specific there's very specific obstacles women face but there's also very specific other specific obstacles that latinas face and then it stems down to the individual each Latina faces, Uh you know, um, Uh because of the research that you have decided to go through. So I want to focus first on maybe the struggles and obstacles you face. You have mentioned imposter syndrome. And can you mention more of what you've encountered throughout your path in STEM? Yeah, definitely. I think, so I guess, like, I didn't think I could pursue, like, a PhD or I didn't think about that option as much because in undergrad like people just kind of went straight into it like here in the U.S. we we can just go straight into a PhD program you don't necessarily have to do a master's PhD but the thing is like you go straight into it but I took a gap year like I worked and so I was like okay well I'm one year behind so I think like something that was really hard for me to kind of get over was like oh I am two years older than my class like what eventually like I got over it and I was like oh it's fine I have life experience yeah. Um, I took that year to, like, finance myself and just, like, like, be okay. So, as I mentioned, imposter syndrome and just a lot of moments of, like, oh, my God, do I belong here? And I, I think, like, being a Latina, there's moments where you think, like, am I here because I'm a scientist? Am I here because 
I am Latina, like you don't want it to be perceived as like um, affirmative action is what got you here. So you, I don't know, I feel like there are moments where I think about it as like, I need to work that much harder because I don't want people to like think that just because of diversity, mm-hmm. I am here at one of the top research yeah. institutions. So that's something else. I think another thing that I have faced is being the token brown girl, you know, being the face of first generation, being the face of a Latina in STEM. Like, you know what? Like, not all Latinas look like me. They're not all brown. They're like, some have curly hair. Some of us have straight hair. Like, I think that's something that I have faced where it's like, I, I don't want to, you know, emphasize the stigma of what a Latina looks like. So that's something else that I've had to like, open my mind to and like realize I think something else is like to like research wise like something that I've overcome recently is like running an experiment for the first time like overcoming that like okay this is my first time it's probably not going to be as great but I will run another one after this knowing what journals to read like when you switch over to a new research area there are so many different areas to look in or literature scientific literature or how a paper is written oh my gosh I think that was one of my biggest things like how do you write a scientific paper it's not like you know any essay that I wrote in like AP English so yeah it's a, it's a lot of like <laughs> you would think there'd be a roadmap but there really isn't yeah. yeah I think something else is like how to design like a good experiment like what you're not really taught that unless you've done research in undergrad yeah, so those are just some of the struggles that I feel like I've noticed. Yeah, for you. And yeah, I feel like every roadmap, like even though maybe that's like you try to create this roadmap, it would be different for every Latina who decides uh-huh. to follow STEM. Because can you share with us maybe some um, data of what are, let's see, just the main three obstacles that Latinos face in STEM right now? Do you know those? I would say, so one of them is definitely imposter syndrome because mm-hmm. like, I mean, here in Michigan, like, yes. I don't see a lot of people like me, which is fine. It's totally fine. I think imposter syndrome is one, a big one. Another one is, like, familialism, the sense that, like, because of our Latin culture, you know, family, we are together, almost familia. And so it's really hard for us Latinas sometimes to, you know, leave the home and go pursue something else. Yeah. And so there are moments where even I feel guilty, like, like, right now, what's going on, I'm like, oh, my God, I should be home, I should be taking care of my parents, like, I'm like, no, it's okay, they're adults, they've been through so much, so many other challenges, they're going to get through this, they're going to be fine, so that, I think, like, that's another obstacle that Latinas face a lot. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said earlier, different, like, the road map will not be the same for everyone, but that's why it's so important to have, be a mentor, be a supporter, encourage other Latinas so you can find that connection and just guide them through those obstacles, right? And I want to talk now about your parents. You know, you have your science parents and your parents, you know, were they always encouraging and motivating you to take this um, STEM path or... Yeah, so both of my parents have always been very understanding of, like, education is going to get you far. Mm-hmm. So they've been motivating me this whole time to pursue academia and to pursue every 
title that I can yeah. find, I guess. So that's been really good. My mom, she studied to be a nurse in Mexico, but they couldn't finance her título, so she never was officially a nurse. But she knows a lot about nursing, and I think that's kind of where, like, if I think back, probably where I get my STEM gene from, just, like, the science gene of, like, yeah. oh, this is interesting. I think with that, though, school in the U.S. is different than school in Mexico. Yes. So as motivating as they have been, there there's a lot of stuff that I've had to figure out myself. And that's fine. It's made it that much more, more resilient and stronger and independent yeah. figuring it out. I remember like I, <laughs> I remember like the day or like the August following my high school graduation, my dad like knocked on my door and he was like, shouldn't you be in school right now since the high school started again? And I was like, dad, I graduated. What are you talking about? So like you just, like it's different. Like they don't, it's a different system to maneuver yourself yeah. through. But they've always been encouraging, like you can do it, you're going to be good. And I think in between all that you need to find like the little things that are going to help you get through each of them. Yeah. Well, it's really great that they are very supportive and I just can imagine the pride that they feel that you're, in, you know, doing your research and, and you're doing your PhD. Like I know how proud my parents are of me. So I can just imagine like how much they're pride, proud of you too. Yeah. Like I think what got me one like recently with my mom was like, she was like, I knew my kids were going to do good, great stuff. Aww. And I was like, Oh mom. <laughs> so my dad said, I knew you were going to go far the day that we were in Target and we couldn't find plastic spoons. You were probably in elementary school. And I said, I'm sorry, Mija, I don't know where they are. And you told me, don't worry, daddy. And you went and found a, an associate and we're just like, miss, miss, where can we find the plastic spoon? He's like, I knew you were going to like find your way through it. Oh, that is so cute. <laughs> but it shows right there that you weren't afraid, um, you know, embarrassed or shy to just go and ask, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Like it really reflects from very a uh, young age that who you are and mm-hmm. as a person and that's you know those little like evidence when you're small that's really mm-hmm. great to know and now you, you are a collaborator in Every Point One Matters which is such a great social media um, Instagram account that started back in December and I remember following it. And just, oh, really? Yeah. Because I don't know why, but I think I would, I don't know if I was tagged or Agus was tagged, but the point was that one of my accounts was tagged. And I was like, why did I get tagged on this? And they just kept looking at it. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And then it was like, just looking at it. And, you know, I love that it focuses on Latinas, but also women of color and STEM. And just mm-hmm. giving that shout out to them and reminding us that, you know, women of color are on top and you know, are working to have more representation, are doing great things. So can you tell us more about this important platform of Every Point One Matters? Yeah, so Every Point One Matters is also a website. It's a resource Mm -hmm. that you can go to. It has job listings from companies. It has blogs from women that are currently in industry, in academia. And actually, it was my friend, Lorena Soriano, Girl Change the World on uh, Instagram, she started it. So she's currently based in Seattle, and she's just been doing an incredible job. She has that business background to really take this to the next level. And a lot of what she is showing right now is through the Instagram. And so on a weekly basis, she has 
a current woman of color take over the account and showcase like what they're doing, how they're dealing with, I don't know, current challenges. So she really tries to diversify it throughout like all the sciences as well as like ge- geographically. She also does a lot of research into like previous women of color in STEM. So she'll post about that. And I think it's just like an incredible platform to really help address the lack of Latinas and just women of color Mm -hmm. in general in industry, in research, in academia. So it's still growing, but this is going to be great. I already know it in my heart. It's going to be such a valuable resource. And so... For all y'all listening, go follow us on Instagram. Every point one matters. But yeah. Yes, and point is actually the like the point, not yeah. point in um, P-O-I-N-T. It's the point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like period. Period, one. yeah, period. But I do love that, you know, this website has, you know, resources for, you know, job applications or just like going for research or in, like things like that because, again, like, when you decide to follow into a certain career or in STEM, you're like, you're like lost. You're like, how do I even start? Right? Like, mm-hmm. where do I go to first? And like having mm-hmm. that talking again about technology and where we're at right now, it's like, it's so much easier now to find mm-hmm. these like choices. Mm-hmm. And, and Lorena is like so social. She is like such a giving person and she's willing to help out anyone that asks her for help. I swear, like, every time that we, like, catch up, I'm like, so how is everything going with every point one? And, like, the plans are just, like, skyrocketing. And I'm just like, I'm so proud of this. It's going to be great. Aw, it's so great to hear. And I really would love to have Lorena here on the podcast to, like, learn more about that. And now, you know, you were featured in Every Point One Matters. Can you share maybe the top, like, subject or topic that you covered while you were featured there? Yeah, so one of the biggest ones that I covered were preview weekends, because I think a lot of underrepresented groups aren't aware of these programs that a lot of universities have. And so, as I said earlier in the podcast, preview weekends, essentially, you apply to them. It's like a mini graduate school application. Mm -hmm. You get letters of rec, you, like, write a personal statement, you submit your transcript, and if you get in, the school flies you out to the department to meet the faculty, actually talk to them, talk to the graduate students. And kind of just get your foot in the door. And this is a great way because normally these are like before graduate school application season. So when the time does come that you apply and the administration like comes across your application, they have a face to put to that. And so I I genuinely think that my preview weekend at the University of Michigan, it was so good for me to just go and like meet everyone. And so I actually have a list of a good amount of preview programs that I found Um, I can post it on my social media you can find me at sheet chemistry and it's just so many programs there's so many disciplines engineering um, math chemistry biological sciences there's so many of them that's one of the big things that I talked about because I think it's just such a treasure that underrepresented groups have so there was that I talked about microfluidics and like the research that I do and so essentially Microfluidics, a technical term for it, is the control and manipulation of fluids between the micro and the attiliter scale. So you're dealing with very small quantities of solutions, liquids. Yeah, and so it's the idea of taking this like big culture of like science and condensing it down to a chip. And so one of the popular trendy names for it is like lab on a chip. You're 
making these microchips that are like half the size of a credit card or smaller. And they're doing a lot of processes that you would normally need a whole lab to do. So I do it on a very like discovery level. Can we do this? And so essentially, if I'm putting it in like layman's terms, we're looking to take biological assays that again, like would require a whole lab, a whole, like an individual to do. And we want to condense it down to a series of microchips that are just seeing this protocol from beginning to end. So Mm -hmm. it's the idea of automating a lot of these assays for various reasons, whether Mm -hmm. it be like reproducibility errors, you want to focus on other things. And so that's kind of what I do. And in my feature, which is saved on the Every Point One Matters Instagram, I show you like the chips that we use and the system, just kind of like general stuff. Awesome. That's great to hear. And you know, you're now in your third year of your research, of your PhD research. And do you like visualize yourself in the next, what you're going to do in the next three years? Like how do you plan, do you still plan to stay in academia and do further research or like what is the path that you're as of now looking after when you're done? Yeah, so I think when you go into graduate school, they kind of nail into you, like, are you going to go academia or industry? So, like, private sector research, mm-hmm. or are you going to go back to universities and, like, teach? I think we live in a fantastic time in STEM where there are so many jobs that are appearing with a PhD. So, like, science communication, science policy. So, the fields are just growing for people that hold a PhD. You don't just have to be a scientist at the bench running experiments for the rest of your life. For me right now, I'm kind of 50-50 between, like, going into industry and going into academia because it is my third year. I'm kind of starting to pursue all of these opportunities that go in both directions. So the most recent one is I've applied to a fellowship that would essentially allow me to go back and teach at the Cal State system, which is a system that I genuinely appreciate because, like, going through it, Like, I learned so much, and I think it was the right school-size academic preparation that I could have done. I'm also open to going into industry since I did do a year at Zymo Research. And so, I don't know, we'll see from right now on, I'm just going to continue to apply and kind of see which opportunities are presented to me. That's kind of, I'm going to pursue both directions right now, and as I move further in, I'll kind of, it'll kind of tailor to one direction or the other. Excellent. And now I want to go back here in the present. And we, we talked about it earlier before we recorded, but can you share with me right now, how has COVID-19 affected your research and how are you coping it, coping with it, dealing with it, um, and continuing on with your work? Yeah. So again, research I go into lab like I'm not a computational chemist in any way so a lot of my research is running these experiments in a lab setting but um, as of Friday the University of Michigan has stopped any non-essential research so we're told to work remotely and so when you go from being in the lab consistently running experiments to all of a sudden you're at home with your computer like it's it's a lot of restructuring that you have to do so, in a sense, I guess I am 
concerned because I had just gotten off of this tail end of like giving presentations and like preparing for them and going to conferences and like my seminar. And so I was ready to get back into lab and just run these experiments, generate data. But because of the university shutting non-essential research down, now I can't. So I think right now my biggest like stay at home tasks are a lot of background reading. Currently reading a good paper on histone three and why it's important. And kind of workshopping some experiments, designing them. Also uh, hoping to, I don't know, just analyze more data in depth. I have generated a lot of data in my first two years, so it's probably good that I go back and just start looking for trends and revisit it. Maybe I missed something. So I think there is like a good amount of stuff that I can do without me having to be in the lab. However... I am a little, like, stressed out about, like, okay, well, once we start, now I'm going to be behind on all of these things. But I'm trying not to, like, think too too much into it. Like, I just want to be productive in this time period. And for our fellow Latinas who are working from home, doing their research from home, maybe, and they obviously are self-distancing, what tips are you doing right now that is making your life smoother from work? from, you know, being at home? Because I know it's hard, you know, where you and I are very used to being out and working at our offices, uh, at your lab. And what are the things that are just keeping you sane at the moment? Yeah, so I think, like, the big general tips are, you know, get up at your normal time, get dressed. I don't, like, do my makeup, essentially, but I do, like, you know, get ready in the morning, go through my face routine. I, I already wear leggings to work every day, so, like, I'm comfy in that sense, but, uh, you know, have a designated working area, so, like, mine is my kitchen table, don't work on your bed, like, that's just not, that's not a good area, like, I'm pretty sure you fall asleep, and, you know, have set breaks, work for, like, I don't know, 20 minutes on this particular thing, and then take a five-minute, like, break to drink some water, drink a coffee, you know, set up a tea, what I'm kind of finding very useful is, like, getting up from my kitchen table and doing, like, five minutes of, like, cleaning down my counters or five minutes to put away my dishes, five minutes to go change my laundry over. And that kind of just helps me break it up. Or no, normally those breaks would be, like, turn to my desk mate and talk about mm-hmm. this concept that I'm not understanding. And my, my lab uses Slack, so I can still reach my desk mates. That's keeping me sane because to a certain degree, I feel like they were, like, helping me stay calm through all of this because they can just explain things and kind of add some humor sometimes and so like staying in contact with them throughout my day has been helpful I think also just like you know being done at five is good and also like a good thing is like don't put too much pressure on yourself because you're not going to be producing as much work as before that because I think, like, in a, when you're in a research setting, you, you get into this, like, discipline of, like, I'm producing work when I'm running an experiment and producing data. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to rephrase and reshape your thinking of, like, what producing means. And so for me, it's like, okay, I made it through this paper today, and I took this amount of notes. I typed up this experiment. So you kind of really have to rethink what you're going to accomplish for the day. Oh, and that's another thing. Writing down three things that you're going to finish for the day. Three. Perfect. Yeah, and I feel I, I like those three things, and also like having a designated spot to work because 
when you're home, you don't even have that, like, difference between, like, you know, your work and you come home so you decompress, right? But now that we're all home, it's like, you're like, you even, like, start disliking your own home. You're like, I can't even calm down right now because it's, it's work all the time. So, yeah. No, so, like, I think right now, it's kind of taking me back to, like, a year ago, because a year ago, I went through my candidacy exam, mm-hmm. which is, like, your second-year exam to move on in the program, and at Michigan, we actually had the polar vortex, so there were, like, four days where it was, like, horribly cold, horribly cold, like, people were not going outside, the department was just, like, you know what, stay home for those couple mm-hmm. of days, you don't have to come in for mm-hmm. research. So I was already preparing for my candidacy exam. So I remember just like hibernating in my house, snacks consistently on my computer, reading, prepping my presentation, prepping my document. So it's kind of taken me back to that sense of like, well, at least I've established that this is like a working area. That's good. That's good. So you had like previous experience from, you know, (laughs) yeah. So thank you, Gloria. I now want to close this wonderful conversation with, you know, if you had the opportunity to time travel back at any age, you know, maybe you were that little girl who was asking for the, you know, plastic spoons or a week ago, maybe a month ago, or, or when, when you were 15, when you had that, or whatever age you had that chemistry teacher, and you had the opportunity to say something to Gloria, what would you say to her? Don't be afraid to ask questions. For so long, I think I was just so shy to ask the question. And I think that shyness kind of helped me back sometimes. I mean, eventually I'm going to have to ask the question. Eventually I'm going to have to look for that answer. So I think more than anything, it's just ask the question to someone that you think knows the answer. And if they don't know the answer, they can point you in the right direction. You know, just don't be afraid to search for the knowledge. And now that I am a graduate student, I'm understanding the importance of asking those questions. So I'm still breaking out of it, but like for my younger self, don't be afraid to ask questions. Perfect. Thank you so much. And can you share with our listeners where they can follow you? Where can they follow every one point matters? I know we mentioned it earlier, but just to close the episode. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at chic chemistry. And then on Twitter, I'm also at chic chem. And then our Lorena's page uh, is uh, at Girl Change the World, but then the account is Every Point One Matters, and it's at Every Dot Like Period, period. One, and then Matters. Um, and then there's also a website that you can go and check out. Again, we're still growing, but it's going to be an amazing thing. Awesome, excellent! I'm really excited to see it grow and just see more of what they have to share and what you have to share to the world. And thank you so much for this conversation. I really loved it. You know, this is something that I want to do more in AES, talk with more Latinas in STEM, and just because we need more representation and it's just beautiful that you're one of them and that you're inspiring our younger generation that it's possible. So thank you so much for the work and the research that you're doing right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Yes. You can follow the podcast on Instagram. That is E-L-L-A-S, the podcast. And you can email me at A Yes, the podcast at, that's E-L-L-A-S at gmail.com. And again, thank you for listening. 
You'll be listening to a new episode in two weeks. Adios. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. Ellas is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. And thank you to Shro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusicarchive.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. The transition song was Enjoying the Loop by Tomas Skaldeberg. Gloria's theme song was I Need Only You by Love Beans on Epidemic Sound. And remember... This is a yes.